time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the savvy, Divine Miss C. Welcome to the show. I want to thank you all for joining me today. I've got a special guest with me, and we're going to do a Masters and Legends special. Uh, being a musician myself, I love to interview famous musicians, find out a bit about their life and their motivation. And my guest, his, he's a trombonist, and his name is Ira Nepus. And Ira, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much, Lori. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Well, you know, it's always best to start at the beginning. So let's talk about family. Did you come from a musical family? I was very fortunate that my father, he was very passionate about jazz and music, and he would bring home records that we would play together from early morning until sometimes late at night. And uh, he was a real jazz fan. He played a little bit of the harmonica. He was raised in Paris, France, and he was one of the founders of the Hot Jazz Club of France during the 1930s. Junga Reinhardt was there, uh, and the people that ran the club were Hugh Panassier and Charles Delaunay. So it was part of jazz history in Europe. So that was great after he moved to America, Los Angeles, California, where I was born. And uh, I, I had a lot of great upbringing with his wonderful music. And then, of course, my mother was a flamenco dancer, kind of an oddball couple they were. <laughs> they met in Mexico City, and uh, my mother was on tour with a flamenco group. So I had the worlds of flamenco music and the gypsies, and then I had my father with his jazz. Okay. Now, you being a, uh, starting out on trombone, that's, that's what you originally started out on, correct? You know, before the trombone, I played a little guitar. But uh, I didn't seem to have the dexterity that I needed for the guitar. And when it came time for choosing a musical instrument in the elementary school, I wound up with the trombone. Okay, now, you know, I have to say it's kind of funny because most music directors usually give, like, easier instruments that, that involve fingering. And trombone is not as common an instrument. Why do you, you think know, that is? I just is? fell in love with the looks of the trombone, the sound of the trombone. My father would take me to different clubs at night to go listen to jazz. And uh, when I heard the, a jazz trombone player, it just captured me right away. Okay. Did you participate in school bands growing up? I was in an orchestra. In that time, we didn't have really a jazz program in the schools, so we had orchestras. And uh, I listened to the musicians around me at that time who were also just starting out. And it was, uh, it was great. We, we played together orchestral-type music, and then at night I would come home and play with my father. We'd put on the records, and he played a guitar, wonderful guitar, and so we would jam together. And so that was my dessert at the end of the day of practicing the basics of the instrument, and we would get together and jam. I gotcha. And you're talking about you played all, so really you've played all different styles. I mean, some people, you know, are more focused. When I, when I grew up playing, I played piano and I used to play saxophone. I was trained classically because it's not much of a call for a classical saxophone player. You know, they, they want the jazz. Um, talk a little bit about how old you were when you went professional and maybe explain how that happened. Because, you know, we get a lot of listeners who maybe are, you know, aspiring to be professional musicians, and I think it's a lot harder than people think. So how old were you when, when you decided you, this is it? You know, what made you decide this was it? 
Well, I, I really was fortunate. I had a good trombone teacher from the beginning, so he got me started on the basics of how to play the instrument. And then my father with the jazz. Uh, so I was starting to develop my ear pretty well, my, my reading abilities and then my hearing abilities. So maybe one of the first recording sessions I ever did, I, was, I think I was 15 or 16 years old, and that was uh, behind a singer, uh, and I played a trombone solo for this lady, Anita, Anita Tucker was her name. Okay. And, uh, and then after that, they were looking for musicians at Disneyland when I was still in high school uh, to play in a Top 40 band. So I was able to join that band. It was called, uh, early on it was called K-Bell and the Spacemen, and later on it became yeah. the Mustangs. And so that would have been the early 60s at Disneyland. So that was fantastic. So I actually became a professional musician while I was in high school. That's, that's pretty good. You have to be really good to be able to do that. Now, to a non-musician, would you be able to explain why trombone is a more difficult instrument than, say, playing any other instrument? Well, you know, when you play the piano, you put your fingers down on the keyboard, and there it mm -hmm. is. On the piano, it, it, the note is instant. The sound is instant. On the trombone, you have to first get the sound started with your lips through the mouthpiece. And then you have to learn how to get a good, solid sound on the mouthpiece, the brass instrument. And then you have to learn the slide positions. And each slide position has an overtone series. So you're working from the lowest note to the highest note in different positions. And there are seven different positions on the slide. A lot of people say, well, how, how do you know where those positions are? We actually, after a while, we, we know where they are automatically because everything's in relation to the bell. The, the bell of the trombone. You're either up from the bell or past the bell. Okay, now the trombones, I mean, are, are they all the same size? If you were to pick up somebody else's trombone, would it be the same thing or would it be different than your own trombone? Well, there's, there's three basic, there's two basic sizes. There's the tenor trombone, which is the medium size bore, and then there's the bass trombone, which is the larger bore, and there's bore sizes in between. But if I picked up a trombone that had my basic 500 bore size, then I would be pretty comfortable with that. Okay, because I look at it, you know, playing piano, you're right. You, you, you're pressing on the keys, it makes the sound. If I were to play on the saxophone, I'm hitting the key to make a specific note, it makes the sound. When I think of trombone and you go into those positions and then also have to use, you know, your embouchure, your, your, your mouth pressure, correct, is also what changes the note? Yes, yes. Okay, that to me seems very, very difficult. And I, I sort of relate that to someone who plays violin where there are no frets like there are for guitar. The violinists very are also good. trained. Very similar to that, yes. Yeah, they're trained to mm -hmm. hear it more by ear so that they have to hit the exact note. But I find that to be amazing. You have to have a, a pretty good ear. You have to have either very high relative pitch or perfect pitch, I would think, to be able to do that on violin or on an instrument like trombone, correct? You have to, you have to keep your ears alive, you know, because, yes, you could be sharp or flat, so you have to be careful. Absolutely. And depending on who you're playing with and making sure that you're lined up with them and they're lined up with you, there's there's little there's room for error for sure, <laughs> right? That's why I think it's a more difficult instrument. Um, now you talked a little bit about you you had a good teacher you know when you were in school. So let's let's talk about your education. Talk about the teachers you've had throughout school and maybe how they influenced you or how they helped you. Okay, um, I mean all, all the I've had quite a few teachers over my lifetime, and I'm always looking for different coaches to enhance what I'm already currently doing. So, um, I mean, just, just learning 
from different people has been ongoing. It never stops. Okay. Now, I looked up your, your education on your website. said, Ira is a graduate of the University of Hawaii with a yes. bachelor's degree in music education. So you have formal training. So you can, you can read and you can hear. And you also have a master's degree in music and jazz studies from USC. And you, you taught there also, correctly? Yes, that is correct. Okay. How did you like teaching? Could you compare teaching to playing? I know they're two different animals. Do you get a joy out of, you know, obviously out of playing, but what about teaching? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a great question. I, I love teaching. I really love helping young players, players that have been doing it for quite a while, whatever they need. I, I just kind of feel like a doctor sometime going in and, and helping his patient to get well. So... For me, it's a joy to get together with young players. I, I start out players from scratch from the very beginning and watch their development, and I've been very fortunate. Some of my students have gone on to become some of the greatest trombone players in the world today. And so it's, it's just, I'm very proud. I feel like a proud papa a lot of times. I think that's that, that's that's important though that, that you're you're helping influence because you know some of the things I've talked with with some of the other musicians uh, on this show is that the, the legacy of jazz seems to ha have left in some respect largely compared to what it was years ago. So do you feel that maybe you've influenced some of these people in in jazz world so that it stays alive because it's changed a lot over the years. Yes, well we we are carrying on the tradition and handing down the tradition to young players because it's really important. I came from the history of jazz. I was surrounded by the history of jazz. It was during a good time when I was growing up. A lot of the members from the early period of Louis Armstrong's Hot Five, Hot Seven were, were alive then. And they were here in Los Angeles, so I got a chance to play with them, to hear them live, learn about their history, their lives. Um, so I was surrounded by the history of jazz, and I think it's really important for young players to understand that because it, it rounds out their, their ability to perform and, uh, and play music and play jazz. You know, you have to have good roots. It's really important okay, on it, any instrument. Yeah. Do you think, is it a good idea to have more than one teacher throughout your lifetime? I know you have from reading your site uh, because you feel that each one, I, I feel like each one maybe has a different influence on a student as opposed to just having one teacher throughout their entire life. Oh, yes, and you learn from everybody. Everybody can teach you something. So my first trombone teacher, I was with him for eight years, which is pretty amazing. And uh, after that, and he is still alive today, which is incredible. He's wow. 97, he's going to be 98. And he started me out on the trombone when I was 10 years old. He's still there. We still talk. We're still keeping in touch. And he reminds me about, uh, you know, how he used to try to get me and remind me to, to keep playing the scales, the major <laughs> scales and the right. fundamentals and get a good sound on the instrument, all those things. But, but I've learned from, from everybody that I've come in contact with. Everybody can share something special. Right. And you've done a lot of things. And I, I want you to stay with us. We are going to a quick commercial break. So don't go anywhere. Great, Lori. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hi, this is Lori Zook, radio host from the world of Lori Zook. I was so nervous about getting tattooed, but after doing my due diligence and checking out companies and artists, I had my tattoos done by Justin Dubow of Suncoast Tattoos. He is knowledgeable and artistic, and he gave me a beautiful tattoo, and he put me at ease before, during, and after the process. I just love my new tattoo. Go get your tattoo at Suncoast Tattoos. Call them at 727-575-7935 today. That's 727-575-7935. Or go to suncoasttattoos.net. Do you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664 and get on track to better health. Lori Zook. My Masters in Legend special today is with guest trombonist Ira Nepas. Um, Ira, would you want to talk a little bit about that bumper music we just played leading into the segment? This is from an album that I did with guitarist Steve Moore, and it's a tribute to the music of Benny Carter, who is a great friend and mentor of mine. I, I work with Benny Carter uh, in many different configurations, especially his big band. And uh, he, was, he was a friend of my family, actually, my father from the days of uh, Paris, France. So I've known Benny Carter since I was born, basically. So we did a tribute to him, and these are all songs with some wonderful musicians. Uh, John Clayton's on there on a few tracks, Tamir Hendelman, Jeff Hamilton, uh, a lot of great players. Now, you've played with a lot of famous players, and, and we kind of know each other mutually through Glenn Zatola, uh, tremendous, tremendous sax player, trumpet. One of my favorite musicians. Yeah. How do you know Glenn? Glenn, you know, I first knew about him through his father, who was a mouthpiece maker, Frank Zatola. We used to order his father's mouthpieces when mm-hmm. I lived in Hawaii, and I was there with Trummy Young, great jazz trombonist. And uh, so first I knew about the Zatola family, through the mouthpieces and his father. And then I met Glenn in Los Angeles. We were playing on a few jobs uh, locally in the area and got to be friends, and I would say that would have been probably back in the early 80s at that time. And then little by little I started discovering what a great musician Glenn is. Alto saxophone, trumpet, tenor saxophone, just incredible. And then his history, you know, with his family and the jazz club that he grew up in in New York. So... It's, it's a real pleasure to know Glenn. 
Yeah, and your story your story sounds similar in that respect in growing up with a with a musical family. And and Glenn, you know, he likes to talk about how when he he sings through the horn. And so I understand that and I hear you play your trombone and you're definitely singing through your horn. Do you want to kind of give me um a definition of what that means to you? You know, it means really to me being lyrical and melodic. Uh I love singers. I listen to singers. I'm, I may be a frustrated singer at heart, <laughs> so I try to emulate the sound of the voice, the human voice, through the trombone. And, and you could hear that when, I listen, when I've listened to your music, you can hear the vibrato and, and the depth of what you're doing. And you can hear the dynamics, and that's the feeling. And I don't know that you can really teach feeling. I mean, maybe to some extent you can teach feeling, but I think really either you have it or, or you don't. And so what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because, you, you know, you've, you've taught. Well, the, the music has to come from your soul. So it's what you feel, it's what you hear, and... Uh, what you want to create it's yeah. an extension of yourself yep and, and and i agree with that and you know you, we we're talking a little bit your education y- your education is in music so yes i know you can read improvising i think is a lot harder and i'll tell you i i grew up strictly reading no one ever really talked to me or explained about improvising so therefore i find it difficult um what i do see in in interviewing musicians who were kind of born into families with it where you know it it was just kind of natural to you 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 didn't you know go out and do it later where you didn't have a family that played music you were born into it so when you do the improvisation does it just come naturally or are you thinking about it like someone with me who just had the education in reading i'd have to sit here and go well what key am i playing in and what flats or sharps if i'm playing in blues i'd have to analyze it that way yet the people who do it naturally like you you it just seems to flow and and so how does that happen is there a way to define that well it has to be natural you can't be thinking when you're improvising it's a total it's a total feeling experience and uh I mean, somebody like Glenn Zatola, I know that his father told him, you know, Glenn, you're just basically embellishing the melody. So melody is very important, and what you're doing is you're creating around that melody, emulating the melody in a unique kind of way. So whatever it is, improvisation has to be a total natural experience. You cannot be thinking about it. Some people don't even know what key they're playing in, but they are playing in the correct key because they hear it that way. So it's, it's about developing your hearing, your ears, and I think it's important to get away from the written music if you're going to be an improviser. Now, I know you know Irv Kraka, who owns, the, who owns Music Minus One. We're going to have him on, 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 a, on a future show. Uh, his heart. Yeah, let, let, let's talk a little bit about Music Minus One. And, and you know, I know you kind of know how it, it came about, but it developed into something big. And you're one of the performers on for Music Minus One, correct? Yes. I have three albums that I've done, thanks to Irv and to Glenn Zatola. So um, when I was growing up, my father brought home one of the very first Music Minus One LPs. And uh, we would put that on, and of course the melody was, was for me to perform on and then improvise on. So there was, there was some melody written out on the back of the LP, I remember that, but basically it was all about improvisation. So we would take a melody and embellish it. And some of those tunes... I, I recreated on uh, one of my standards album. I got to do that thanks to 
to Irv. And so it's beautiful. It's, I've come full circle with Music Minus One. I started out with that when I was 15 years old, and here we are today still with Music Minus One. It's, it's amazing. And you're talking LPs for people who don't know what that is, right? We're talking about long the, the old vi- right, long play <laughs> vinyl records. Yeah, because kids nowadays have no, probably have no clue what that is. Right. Uh, but it was, it was actually the earliest karaoke, correct? I mean, karaoke wasn't just for you know, where they dropped the singer's voice out. They, you're, they were able to drop out on these recordings whatever instrument was going to be practicing so that they would learn how to improvise, correct? Yes, yes, very good. Okay, I got something right here. All right. No, you know, and what, and I, I've been to Japan quite a few times, and and I would sometimes after our concerts go into the clubs, and I would go to karaoke clubs, and I would just get up there and play my trombone along with those background tracks. So I thought, wow, that would be so great to be able to do this professionally, you know. So that's when uh, Irv Gratka came along at the right time. He was always there, but you know, the, this came later in my life when I got to record these Music Minus One albums. Now, it, it can help aspiring musicians in the sense that they don't have to go somewhere physically with a bunch of other people to, to try and rehearse out whatever they're going to improvise. They just play the music. You know, na- nowadays it's all digital, right? Or, or on the CDs. They yeah. can just play it, and then they can just improvise along, and they can work on their own style at that point. Mm-hmm, yes. And so I used to also, my father would put on the, the records, and I would put on his records, and I would play along with those musicians that were on the album, trying to imagine myself that I was actually there with them, physically on stage or in a club, and trying to play at their level and, and copy some of the things that they were doing. So in a sense, just playing along with records or CDs or even the radio was really helpful for me, developing my hearing, my ears, and my ability to improvise. Now, let me ask you a, a question about when you're when you would be practicing. Did you ever record yourself? I know when I was a kid growing up, I would record myself on the piano. Of course, it was on a tape recorder back then. You know, yeah. and I'd have to play it back. Nowadays, you can just do it from your phone. Although the quality is not great, you have digital devices. But did you do that? And do you find that that's a good tool? Because I think when you hear yourself play, it's different than when you're actually doing it. When you're actually doing it. You may not be aware that you're making mistakes or that it sounds a particular way because you're in the moment. But when you play it back, that's kind of where you hear, well, did I hesitate or did I not do it quite right? You know, that, that's so great that you're bringing this up. For me, every time I go into the recording studio, it's like a music lesson for myself. I get to hear yeah. myself back, the quality of my sound, the pitch. If I'm playing a solo, what the solo sounds like to me. Uh, when I was growing up, I didn't really have that luxury with a tape recorder. But as I became more into the professional world and I was in a recording studio, it was really a, a, an eye-opener, an ear-opener. So I would start to gravitate towards the areas that this is what I would like to sound more like. So if I hear myself back and I wasn't very happy about what I heard, then I would get a second take and go, that's more what I'm talking about. Now, do you find that musicians of your caliber, you and, and the people that you play with, are you more perfectionistic in your playing? Well, we, we want to be the best we can be to satisfy ourselves. Absolutely. Okay. Let's talk a bit about some of the musicians that you, you've played with and maybe your experiences. Because when I looked at your website, I went, oh my gosh, this guy's played with everybody famous. Um, Elton John. Talk about Elton John. Well, I, I, I got a chance to work several albums with Elton John and actually even tour with him. Uh, we did 
we did a, the union with Elton John and Leon Russell. That was my first experience with Elton John. And uh, it's a great album. Everybody should check that one out. It's not a jazz album, but it's a great American music album. And uh, then we took Elton John and Leon Russell, and we went and toured different areas, uh, along with T-Bone Burnett, who's a great record producer, has produced so many wonderful people, and he took a lot of his artists, which also included Elton John and Leon Russell, and we went to New York and San Francisco and Boston and performed concerts with an incredible entourage. And that was later on in my life. I mean, that was not that long ago. So uh, that's one example, yes. Okay. Paul McCartney, I got a chance to work on a, a standards, jazz standards album with him called Kisses on the Bottom, and he called me in to play some trombone solos for him. And I was so honored. It's probably one of the biggest honors of my life as far as a, a jazz soloist to go and play something for Paul McCartney. And he, and he really liked what I did, and he kept it. So I was so honored. Well, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want to ask you some more questions about some of these people you play with. So please stay with me, and we'll be back in just a moment. Great. This is the Tan Talk Radio Network. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure. Hi, this is Lori Zook, radio host from the world of Lori Zook. I was so nervous about getting tattooed. But after doing my due diligence and checking out companies and artists, I had my tattoos done by Justin Dubow of Suncoast Tattoos. He is knowledgeable and artistic, and he gave me a beautiful tattoo, and he put me at ease before, during, and after the process. I just love my new tattoo. Go get your tattoo at Suncoast Tattoos. Call them at 727-575-7935 today. That's 727 727- Five seven five seven nine three five, or go to suncoasttattoos.net. to the show. You've been listening to my guest, trombonist Ira Nipas. Uh, Ira, you were growling through your trombone. That was really sexy. Ah, oh, thank you. That's <laughs> with the uh, toilet plunger, the blue <laughs> toilet plunger. <laughs> just, just, it gives it a great sound when you can kind of growl through that. And uh, I've had the pleasure of recording some of those growls with people like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and uh, 
Diana Krall, different people, yeah. Well, and know, I got that from listening to people like Trummy Young and Louis Armstrong. Now, let me ask you on on your the famous people you've played with, because I think you're famous yourself, but you've played with Elvis Costello, you've played with B.B. King. What was it like to, to perform with them, and, and how did you get those jobs? These were done uh, through a producer by the name of T-Bone Burnett, who I mentioned earlier. T-Bone Burnett is... Uh, connected to so many people in the rock and pop and uh, country world. And sometimes whenever they needed a horn section, they would bring myself in. So that this fella, T-Bone, he kind of knew who could do what? Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Now, B.B. King, you know, he recently passed away. And I actually have a, a friend named Sean Hopper, who's an up-and-coming guitarist, who opened for B.B. King uh, the last couple of years when he was here in the Tampa St. Pete area. What kind of experience did you have performing with him? You know, this was an album that we did, uh, and through my friend Daryl Leonard, who's a great trumpet player, arranger, he he put together the horn section, and actually that was another T-Bone Burnett project. One Kind Favor was the name of the album that we did. So I never even got a chance to meet B.B. King. We just went in there and recorded the, the album for him, the horn stuff. Okay, gotcha. Now, what about people like, I see Nelson Riddle, Lionel Hampton, Ray Charles, Sammy, sure. Sammy Davis Jr.? You perform with Sammy Davis Jr.? Yes, oh yes. Oh, my gosh. Now, those people, you know, were people that I was more personally friends, familiar with, spent a lot of time with. Nelson Riddle worked with him on some TV shows, but also got to go to him with him to Hawaii to put together an orchestra and play some wonderful music with Nelson Riddle. And then we became good friends after that. Lionel Hampton worked with him also for several weeks, and uh, just a great guy. Live, never recorded with with Lionel Hampton, but got to play with him. Okay. So many people. I mean, yes, the people on my website, you know, that I've worked with, you can just check out my website and see. A lot of those were either concerts. Some of them were longer tenure, like Woody Herman. I was with the Woody Herman band for about two years doing one-nighters on a bus. So I definitely had a longer relationship with Woody Herman and his band. Um, and some of them were shorter periods. Now, what's it like traveling? Because, you know, you talked about being in Japan. You've been on a bus. For a musician, you know, for an aspiring musician, are, do you find that they're aware of this type of a lifestyle? Because it sounds like you've traveled all over. So is it something that you enjoyed or is it rough? It can be rough when you're when you're a young person, no problem. But you know, as you start progressing later on, traveling is very difficult. And uh, one of my last big experiences was with the Clayton Hamilton Jazz Orchestra. We went to Europe uh, last year, and it was physically rough. You know, doing one-nighters and hopping from country to country every day, a different country. Um, it was pretty difficult. I don't, I don't know how much longer I can do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, and is that by bus, or is that when you're in Europe, is it by bus, and you're just hopping on a bus, or are you getting on a plane and having to do the whole plane thing? You know, it's, it's a combination of everything. So, yes, buses, long buses, uh, bus rides sometimes 12 to 15 hours, um, and then big plane hops going from country to country, from Czech Republic to Russia to uh, back to France, and, uh, and then getting on a bus again and... You know, you basically don't get to see very much. You're, you're, you're getting from airport to airport. You get on a bus. You go from the bus to the hotel, from the hotel to the concert hall, back to the hotel, back to the airport, and then you just keep moving. So it's, uh, it's not very glamorous, 
it's physically enduring, and it's uh, n- not an older person's sport. You have to be really a young person to hang in there with that. So, yeah, and, and, and uh, I'm thinking you're doing it for the love of it because it might pay, but I'm guessing it, you know, people think musicians make a whole lot of money, and I don't think they really do. I think they're doing it because they love it. Yes, yes. And whatever money we do make, we say we're getting paid not to play, we're getting paid to travel. Right, right. It's the, different than, than people might think. Well, I want to read a little bit off your website because you're scary good. I see. I want to talk about the jazz festivals you performed in. Uh, you helped initiate the first Santa Barbara Jazz Festival in 1981, the all-women's jazz, jazz festival in Tokyo in Japan 1991, the first Hawaii International Jazz Festival in 1994, the first Salt Lake City International Jazz Festival in 2001, and the first, if I'm saying this right, Camarillo Arts and Jazz Festival in 2003. That's a lot of jazz festivals. And those those are the jazz festivals that I actually was part of producing and creating, and the Salt Lake City uh, International Jazz Festival is still taking place today. Uh, so these are run by musician friends of mine that got started with the idea of putting together a jazz festival, and they brought me into the fold because they knew that I knew a lot of musicians and groups that I could help them put together a good festival lineup for them. So I've, I've done that over the years, quite a few, yes. You've done, you've done a tremendous amount. I want to go back a little bit to, let's see, you, you pioneered the grand opening of the Tokyo Disneyland as the band director. Yes. In Tokyo, you're the music consultant for all the grand opening. How did you end up, you were traveling in Japan. How do you get these gigs? And that had to be some experience. You know, uh, my wife is Japanese, and the the person that was handling the talent at that time back in uh, in the the 70s and 80s, his name was Sonny Anderson. He has since passed away, but he was a great guy, great friend of mine. And we were in that first top 40 band at Disneyland back there in the early 60s, K-Bell and the Spacemen and the Mustangs, and Sonny Anderson got bumped up to head of talent booking for all the Disneylands all over the world. So when they opened up the Disneyland in Japan, he thought that I'd be the perfect choice to go over and uh, conduct the band and help set up the band program over there, and that was 1983. And so I was there, just there for six months, but it was a great experience. All the members of the band were Japanese. They didn't speak a word of English. I had to learn Japanese pretty quickly, <laughs> and, of course, I had interpreters if I needed it. But it was one of the really great experiences, adventures of my life to go and do something like that. Right, and, and music is a, a universal language. You don't really need to, you know, everybody plays pretty much the same way. But I have found that in different countries, music is notated differently sometimes, correct? It can be. It's a little different, but uh, the Japanese musicians knew how to read American notation, no problem. All right, now I want to talk about your invention, because in 1991 you invented something called the soft tone mute. It found its way to brass players throughout the globe, and it was distributed by the Kahn Selmer Corp., which, of course, Selmer makes some of the best instruments in the world. So how did you get on the track to inventing something to begin with? I, I just had this dream... I woke up in the morning after dreaming about <laughs> creating a mute for a trombone as a as a practice mute, okay. and uh, I, I envisioned it the way I did. I, I I wanted it with neoprene rubber, and uh, and it kind of in, was in front of the bell rather than inside the bell of the instrument. So I found somebody online that manufactured uh, wetsuits for divers and for surfers and they use neoprene rubber. So they helped me put together the mute, and uh, 
then I introduced it. Little, I was doing it my, on my own as far as the marketing, and little by little, then Con Selmer got a wind of it, and they asked if they could distribute it. And I make it for tenor trombone, bass trombone, trumpets, uh, and it's been almost 25 years now that I've been making that mute, and it's sold all over the world thanks to Con Selmer. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. So it has a different sound, is what you're saying, than other mutes. You know, it started out as a practice mute, and then people said, you know, I've just been hanging over to the bell, and it's a great bucket mute sound. So I tried it out based on what somebody told me. I didn't even think of it that way. And sure enough, it was really a, a pretty cool bucket mute sound. So now a lot of the big bands, the jazz bands, the swing bands, they use my mute as a bucket mute. They don't even know it's a it's a practice mute. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, that's funny. That, that it's interesting though how how you had the you know people who invent they say I had the dream and then you actually made it come true, which a lot of people don't do. They don't follow up and they don't do it. So it benefited a lot of people. So from ne- and the marketing of whatever product you have is probably the hardest part. You well, know, creating the product is the easiest part, but then the marketing part is where it really gets difficult. So if I ever have another dream again. <laughs> I will stop myself right there. there. <laughs> <laughs> but you lucked out because the company found you. Usually it's you looking for the company to try to do it for you. Yes. All right. And I've been with them for quite a few years as, as a clinician for them as well. I, I, play, their, I play their instruments and for many years. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about soundtracks. Um, you've performed on a tremendous amount of soundtracks. I'm looking at you've Star Trek's I Generations, X-Files, Adam's Family. What was your favorite soundtrack that you performed on? Oh, my gosh. They were all your I'm favorite, just, right? I'm just so <laughs> fortunate that I get to work with some of the finest musicians in Los Angeles that do the motion picture work, um, motion picture and television, there was there was a oh uh, there's so many I I can't even think of how it's always a thrill to be there playing orchestral music well you know written what, by some of these finest composers as well uh, well I think what we're gonna do you, I re- you got me there what, what are some of the movies that are listed I, I can't I'm, even I'm gonna read through them. what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to a quick commercial break when we come back I'm gonna read off some of them and then and then ask you about what you liked about them how's okay. that all right stay with great us. Laurie. Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e-commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payment's James Carner at 813-777-4332. That's James Carner, 813-777-4332. Three three two.
Welcome back. You've been listening to the world of Lori Zook. And yes, I'm Lori. And I've got uh, my guest is trombonist Ira Nepis, famous in his own, own right as a trombonist. And in the last segment, we were talking a little bit, Ira, about the soundtracks. And I just want to quickly read off because you've played on a lot of things I've heard you on um, when I recognize things like the X-Files, Adam's Family, City Slickers, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, uh, the Beethoven movies, one and two, Rocketeer. Uh, oh, I loved Rocketeer. That was great. As a matter of fact, I had a friend. I have a friend named Michael Milhoen who was with Woody Herman until he was in an accident. But he was a trumpet player. He was actually an actor, though, in that movie, and that was a fantastic movie. It really was. And you were in Kindergarten Cop. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger, Doctor Doolittle, Arachnophobia, yeah, Fat Albert, The Honeymooners, uh, Child's Play, like all different styles. Indecent Proposal, Fatal Instinct. I, I'm looking. Terms of Endearment. You you were in everything. You played in everything. You were like the trombonist in everything. Well, it's so cool to do those those soundtracks with a uh, big orchestra. It's it's a whole different feel, completely. And and today we're doing. Family Guy and American Dad, which are TV animations, adult animations, uh, with a full orchestra. And the music's beautiful. We have Walter Murphy, great composer, arranger, uh, and again, some of the finest musicians in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, television soundtracks. You also did The Simpsons, SpongeBob, The Muppets, Knott's Landing. You did game shows, Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy. Uh, you're on the Grammys with Alicia Keys. You did the Latin Grammys. You, you, you've, you've done everything. Who do you currently perform with? Currently, I'm with the Clayton Hamilton Jazz Orchestra doing uh, big band. Been with the big band for almost 30 years now, and we've traveled all over the world together and recorded quite a few albums. A group called the LA Six out of Los Angeles, oh, Sextet. Just a great group that we uh, do a lot of workshops with students and then perform. Um, I mentioned Family Guy, American Dad, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. I've done all their albums, played on all their albums, and soloed on all their albums. Um, gee, it's it's hard to keep track. Every day is different. Yeah. Every I mean, week is different. And, you know, it's funny. The first time I saw Big Bad Voodoo Daddy was at the Larry Park Zoo here a few years ago. And I heard the name, but I had never heard of them. And... I went, wow. Now, did you actually go on the road with them as well, or are you doing recordings I once studio? went on the road with them for about a few days when their normal trombone player got ill, but uh, basically I record all their albums. Wow. They, they, were, they were just tremendous, big band style. You know, you don't see that kind of talent in that kind of music anymore, you know, in today's era, today's generation. They're fun. They're so entertaining, and and they bring back the music of the 30s and the 40s, and they're great. Right. And I call that the real music, by the way, the 30s and the 40s. That was the real oh, music. That, that's the real music. After that, you know, I mean, there was great music. But in the last 20 years, I'm not so impressed as I am with music, you know, from, from that time frame. Well, uh, it's got a swing, you know, swing in music. Right. That's why I love, I love the Clayton Hamilton Jazz Orchestra. It's one of the most swinging big bands I've ever listened to, played with. They're fantastic. And you yeah. know, talking about you doing everything, you've done TV commercials, Nintendo, EverReady Batteries, Pepsi, MCI, Sprint, Nike, Miller Brewing Company. You did Toyota, Mazda, Kodak, Disneyland, Dr. Pepper. You've done everything. So you're well-connected. Are there um, favorites that you had, or they were all great? They're all great. All great. All different, wonderful experiences. 
Okay. Now let me ask you, what legacy would you like to leave behind to newer generations of musicians? What do you want the to leave? Legacy my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a tough question, but when I when I talk to you and when I hear your music and you realize how how incredibly talented you are and then you see, you know, I compare it a lot to the musicians of of today where, you know, the focus is usually more on the reading. It's not so much on the improvising and and the jazz. So, how if you if you could leave your influence, what would you do? You know, my the legacy I would like to leave behind is to really understand and know the history of what you're doing first start with the history of it and learn to love what you're doing and learn to respect other musicians and other people around you of course i think respect is one of the big ones well, I want to thank you so much for joining me today because it, it, it's been so interesting speaking with you. And so if somebody wants to reach you or talk to you or communicate with you, how can they do that? Well, if, if they go to my website, just look at Ira Napis or IraNapisMusic.com, IraNapis.com, they can find ways to contact me. So no problem. It's a, it's a small world through the Internet, and uh, I'm around. Great. And I welcome I'm, any any communications. And we're going to spell out your name for people. So it's I-R-A-N-E-P-U-S dot com. Yes. Uranipus. <laughs> Made of your own word. That's great. Well, we're going to go out with some of your music, Ira. So thanks again for joining me. And Thank you so much for having me on the show, Laurie. You're Thank very, you very much. Oh, you're very have a, welcome. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. And we'll be back next week. Join me then on The World of Laurie Zook. Hi, this is Lori Zook, radio host from the world of Lori Zook. I was so nervous about getting tattooed, but after doing my due diligence and checking out companies and artists, I had my tattoos done by Justin Dubow of Suncoast Tattoos. He is knowledgeable and artistic, and he gave me a beautiful tattoo, and he put me at ease before, during, and after the process. 
I just love my new tattoo. Go get your tattoo at Suncoast Tattoos. Call them at 727-575-7935 today. That's 727-575-7935. Or go to suncoasttattoos.net. Do you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664. 1664 today. That's 813-935-1664 and get on track to better health. Are you looking for an affordable way to advertise to thousands of consumers nationally? If you own a business and didn't think you could afford radio advertising, you need to call me, Lori Zook, host of the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. My show reaches thousands of people on 29 AM and FM stations nationwide, as well as through the internet. Additionally, your commercials will also be heard on all of my podcasts and throughout social media sites. Don't wait another minute. Call me at 813-777-4908. 813-777-4908. And let me bring your message to the nation and to help you gain more exposure.